And, and that, if you are a believer, that ought to send a thrill up your spine, okay? The third one for me, uh, why I am still a Christian, would be the continuing and ongoing discovery of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. I've shared this quote before, but I believe it was Tozer that said, uh, A.W. Tozer said that uh, the Spirit's job is basically making Jesus real to us now. As you understand, um, when Jesus was incarnate, as we're about to celebrate in Advent and Christmas, uh, Jesus coming down, God, him coming down and taking on flesh as part of the Trinity, um, that was a unique thing in history and time, forward and backward. And once Jesus took on flesh, uh, he ascends into heaven and he has this resurrected body that one day is is the first fruits of what all Christians believe will happen to everyone at the end of time. And But when he is in that body, he cannot literally be present everywhere right now uh, on earth. Uh, And so the logic of that then is, how is Jesus present in the church now? Well, of course, one of the answers is what the written scriptures, the the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible, and then what becomes the New Testament for the church. But what makes that possible is the Spirit of God. And so this member of the Trinity, often called the third member of the Trinity, Jesus and the Father send the Spirit, in fact, in his life on earth, he says that it is good that I go to the Father so that you can receive the Spirit. And the Spirit of God, but because he's Spirit, can be everywhere present at all times. And uniquely present, not just as a force, but also as a person. And this is important to understand in your Christian faith that you're not doing this alone. You're not called to do this in your own strength. We are not called at Pilgrim Church to be the church in our own strength until Jesus comes again. It's just the best we can do in the natural, and let's hope we have some really talented people or else we're going sideways really fast. But rather, we see that Jesus also empowers us by sending the Spirit, this third member of the Trinity, to dwell in us as believers and in us as a gathered community. And the Spirit is at work in all of creation, sustaining creation and renewing and wooing and drawing people to respond to God's love and the gospel of Jesus. And that's great good news because, quite frankly, if it was up to us to convince everyone through our intellectual wittiness or through our, our suave art and our beautiful singing and all of that, many would not respond to that. But when you begin to understand that God is at work in creation and in the church and in you, by His Spirit making Jesus real, You understand that we are a partner, but we're the minor partner. He's the major partner, and he's already at work. You understand the Holy Spirit's at work in this neighborhood, up and down these streets, and in each one of these houses as you walk out of this building today. When you go home later on today, and you look at your apartment or your condo or your home or wherever you live, your retirement complex, the Holy Spirit's already at work in each heart. Now, some over time have... Hardened and hardened and hardened, but it's not over till it's over, so don't give up. (laughs) Others are just waiting, and they've pursued truth, maybe in another religious system, maybe in their own intellectual um, pursuits, but they're a pursuit of truth, and the Holy Spirit, whenever someone's pursuing truth, I believe that the Spirit of truth is also working with them. Now, they can be sidetracked and deceived, and there's an enemy as well that's working, father of lies, but the Holy Spirit is also at work, and we partner with the Holy Spirit. As much as I sort of complain and I go back to my childhood a lot as I'm introducing myself to you and some of my background becoming a Christian of the excesses of sort of the charismatic Pentecostal thing, I still identify with that fully. And I want you to understand that that idea of the Spirit as an empowering presence predates the Pentecostal movement. It goes all the way back to 
Well, it goes back to the New Testament, and it goes back to even before that. And as we'll discover this morning, even Moses' desire prophetically said, I would desire that all of God's people would be prophets when the Spirit of God fell on 70 and then two that were outside of the camp all the way back in the Exodus. And they were like, should we rein them in? Should we rein them in, Moses? And as the Spirit spilled on the other two that were outside of the gathering of this ruling group of elders, and Moses like, no, don't quench it. I would that God's Spirit would fall on all the people, all of them. And so... This idea of the Holy Spirit as the empowering presence, the staying power of God, the spirit that helps work within us towards our transformation, what we might call sanctification or holiness, those three components of major components of the Spirit's work in our lives, are some of what we want to unpack this morning. And if you want to follow along in your uh, notes in the newsletter today, we're going to just cover some major, uh, major ideas about the Holy Spirit. And then as we get into the years ahead, uh, some of these I will unpack more and more. Some of them every year I will hit, whether at Pentecost or other times. But these are things that you will hear from me because they have changed my life and I've wrestled with them and I've got in the trenches with the Lord on some of them and some of them I have shifted a little bit here and there. But I keep coming back to this sense that the power of the Holy Spirit in my life, sometimes in my darkest moments, the experience of God's Spirit is one of the things that has sustained me in my Christian faith. And maybe you're here this morning and you're a Christian and you're struggling with your faith. Maybe you are a non-Christian and you're going to be given language this morning to begin to talk about some of the things that you are experiencing even being in a Christian gathering this morning that God might be doing in your midst. When you come in, for example, and, and we sing and Sometimes it doesn't always happen, but part of it is the sense of there's this sense of there's something other that's going on when we sing to God in worship. Uh, that something flips sometimes in Christian worship when believers raise their voices to magnify God and worship Jesus as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and to declare our allegiance first to Him and secondary to all other things in our lives. That there's a sense sometimes that. There's something that electrifies the atmosphere, that something goes beyond not just an emotional ping, but something deeper than that, that bridges beyond that. Well, Christians would talk about this as a language of the presence of God's Spirit being manifest in that unique, particular time, particular place, particular people experience. That's why I try to never miss a gathering of believers on Resurrection Day every week. Even on vacation, I'll go to a church. It may not be in my traditions, uh, but I'll go because I don't want to miss the manifestation of the presence of the Spirit in that unique way that can happen in the gathering of believers. Evangelicals sometimes have gone too far saying, well, the Spirit's everywhere. Yes, He's all in creation. Yes, you can go and hug a tree and feel the Holy Spirit. You can absolutely, out here in Vancouver, you can go on the mountaintop and uh, get a good, you know, tumble down a, hill, uh, a mountain skiing and have a sense of the Holy Spirit in pain at the same time. It's amazing. I think I skied like twice in my youth, so I might have to rediscover that. But now I'm older, so I don't think I'll mend as well. That's the only challenge with that, and I have dependents. So. Um, but I have life insurance, so yeah, it's, it's a wash, right? Um, but you can experience the Spirit in creation in that sort of general grace way that God has put the Spirit out there. But when you gather in community and you begin to name that and you begin to press into this sense of for me personally, but also in the gathered community, it goes to a whole other level. And so sometimes our theology has been too low church, too low ecclesiology, to use a theological term, too low, and that we've just sort of poo-pooed whatever can happen here. But when we read in 1 Corinthians about Paul talking about the Spirit manifest in the gathered community, that goes way beyond my experience in the mountains or my experience in the great plains of South Dakota or kayaking on a river or skiing on the hill or whatever, whatever, whatever it may be for you. 
There's something unique that can happen here. And to awaken you to that and to be aware of that and then for you to begin to flow in that in church, in home group, and then out in the marketplace takes this thing to a whole nother level. And so I'm still a Christian because of the theology and the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit making Jesus real in real time. I'm going to invite you to pray with me, and I'm going to be reading various scripture passages throughout this morning, so I won't have you stand for that. But would you join with me as we get into this a little bit today? And I warn you, this is one of my favorite topics. So while my goal is to cover these three areas, I may have to spill over a Sunday or spill over into the new year. But we'll, we'll, uh, as Advent 1 starts, we'll have some focus on that as well. But join with me this morning. Let's pray as we get into the word portion of our worship. So we've had worship, witness, word, gathering, worship, body life, and now the teaching portion. So join with me. Father, thank you for what you're doing in this place. And God, I cannot do this without you. I am a saint and sinner in process, and I ask that you would anoint your word. You've promised that it is alive. It cuts even to the very marrow of our bones. It's living and active. It runs after us. And so, Lord, I can't change hearts. At best, I maybe provide a good argument on a good day. But Holy Spirit, come in this house and illuminate the word to your people today that it might be wisdom and life and life, light and life in Jesus' name. And if you're willing to, say amen. Amen. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 2, 4, and 5. He said, My message and preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human or man's wisdom, but on God's power. This is interesting because in the evangelical context, we often have placed a lot of our faith on our ability to put good arguments together, to exegete the word well, and all those things are good and important and have a role. But I find it fascinating in Paul's letter to the church at Corinth, a church that was known for spiritual gifts being abused and used in all kinds of destructive ways, good gifts being misused, and we'll talk about how that's even possible, uh, but that's going on in that church He reminds them that when he came to them, he came in this sense of the Holy Spirit's work and and brought that to them, that there was a demonstration, there was something that happened in their midst that they could identify that wasn't simply Paul's teaching but went beyond that. And in that, their faith, they became believers because of the work of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we think we can be incredibly relevant to our culture, and we should be. We need to remodel this room. We need to work on signage. We need to continue to work on our worship flow and our home group strategies and children's ministry. All of those absolutely are essential. And how we speak, and it shouldn't always be in churchy's language. We need to, although I, I like some churchy's language myself. I'm a little partial to that, but I understand about making things accessible and have done church planting and revitalization. That All of that is important, and I believe in all of that, and I've invested my life in a lot of that. But at the end of it all, it must be the Holy Spirit's welcoming into the body and into our lives that is also an operation guiding all of that and helping us understand when is it time to step out in faith in a totally different God direction that may not make sense from the natural order of things, but that there's a word from the Lord that we must respond to. You see, you can argue with me about all those other things 
as a non-believer, we can get into discussions about pop atheism and culture and, and reasoned arguments and good philosophy and, 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 and probability, and we can go down all of those rabbit trails. But here's the thing. If all of a sudden the Lord says to me, you need to say to, I'm going to use the word brother Bob. I think I'm safe here in Vancouver in our church. Is there any Bobs in this house? I don't, I don't unaware. Okay, brother Bob. And we're having this discussion, and Bob may or may not be a believer or not a believer, and he's wrestling. And all of a sudden, because in my prayer life and in my church, I have attuned my, my mind to be listening for the Holy Spirit's nudges, usually not audible or loud, but usually nudges or a thought that wasn't there before that you test. They said, you need to talk to Bob. You need to ask Bob about his mother right now. And I'm having this conversation. I've had things happen like this before in my life. And sometimes I'll even argue with God. I'm like, we're talking about... Uh, you know, minimalist uh, aesthetics. Why on earth do I want to talk about his mom? She's got knickknacks everywhere. That would just be a fight, Lord, you know? And, uh, uh, and he said, no, ask about her mom. Ask about her mom. In fact, say, and he may give you more information, and you drop that in that conversation. At that moment, say, Bob, I just want to stop. And I have said this to people, as God has used me a few times in this, and said, I sense that God, I said, I know it's going to sound weird to you, but I sense that God is telling me that I need to ask you right now about your mother um, and something that's going on in her life, like, right now. And stuff like that. When that happens, and God knows, but you didn't know, and you say it, and you do it in humility because you may get it wrong, and that's okay. Say, no, you're crazy. There's, my mom's fine. Or uh, you find out, well, yeah, in fact, just this morning, mom called me, and she got a diagnosis, or she got this news, or whatever, whatever, using this as an example, generic example that makes it very specific, that whole conversation just flipped into a whole other level. Seeds were planted that would never have been planted by my continuing to talk about God being revealed in aesthetic beauty and art and play, which I love. But that thing will change that conversation and that relationship. If we're going to reach post-Christian people, we need to have more than good arguments, more than relevancy. We need to be full of God's Holy Spirit in our daily lives, in our church, and in our walk because we need the staying power, the witnessing power, the power of the presence of the Lord at operation in our church. Amen? Jesus tells the disciples as he's ascending in his final words before the ascension, he says, you need to wait in Jerusalem to receive power from on high and then you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So he commissions them, but he says, don't go until you have received power. The dunamis of God, the power of God at work in your lives. And it's interesting as we look in Scripture, I have not even looked at my notes, and there are eight pages of them. Um, You can see this is a passion of mine. Am I making sense, though? I hope I'm being clear. I hope there's communication happening here. Um, He said, don't go until you've received power. And so in Acts 2, we see this, Acts 1.8, we read that, or it was on the video this morning, but in Acts 2, we see that they wait in Jerusalem and they pray, and they're in the upper room, and there's about 120 disciples, it tells us, at Pentecost, the church often reads this text, and it says they were praying and seeking whatever it was, and Luke tells us earlier in the parable about the unjust judge and the woman wanting justice, he says that the, the unjust judge will grant justice because she's persistent, and then in the second story, he says this, how many of you... Uh, parents would give your, your, your son asked for a bread, you'd give him a rock or a snake. And he said, how much more will your father who is in heaven give you good gifts? And Luke, other gospel writer just says good gifts, but Luke then clarifies it and he says, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? 
And so this is tying together in Luke Acts, and Luke's theology of the Spirit needs to be held uh, in, in, in focus here when we're talking about this. He, he demonstrates for us a Spirit-filled Christ and then a Spirit-filled church, Spirit-filled Christ in Acts, when he, or in Luke, when he was on earth, that he's demonstrating that. But in Acts, then he's showing how that Spirit-filled Christ transfers that Spirit to all who are open and willing to expand the kingdom. And so in Acts 2, they're open to this, and they're praying, and it tells us that the room was shaken, and that the Spirit, uh, there was a physical manifestation of fire, whether it was literal fire or a vision of fire, we don't know, but this fire rests on each one of their heads, and they begin to speak in other languages that they did not know, uh, as the Spirit gives utterance, tongues is how that's uh, interpreted in a lot of places, and the place, and then they're sent out, and they begin declaring God's gospel in languages, and we see that both in known languages that they hadn't learned and unknown languages and other operations of this gift. Xenolalia, glossolalia um, is what's happening in these passages in Acts. But the point is not so much that as it is they're empowered now to go boldly and proclaim. Do you know we need the power of God to boldly and proclaim in a way that people can hear the gospel? Say boldly proclaim, sometimes we think of a bad television evangelist I don't think that's what it means when it's saying boldly proclaim, not to be irritating and, you know, annoy most Canadians and Americans, at least north of the Mason-Dixon line. Uh, you know, I don't think that's what it's saying. It's saying that with authority, with clarity, in a way that people can hear it, and getting over your own sort of inward, I'm scared to share Jesus-ness, boldly proclaim. So as we unpack that this morning, hearing that, this is important stuff. Now let's look at the few outline uh, notes in your newsletter, in your insert today. Oh wait, that tells me when to show up for Christmas cookies. I don't need that. Uh, don't need any more Christmas cookies, Vancouver. I'm good. Um, if you look in the first thing here, we want to talk about reception of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's two things we want to identify in reception of the Holy Spirit this morning. is sort of the initial receiving of the Holy Spirit and then this idea of subsequence. So if you want to say it with me... Uh, just play along. If this irritates you, don't do it, okay? Don't write me an angry email. Just don't do it, okay? Would you say the word initial? <laughs> initial and then subsequence. So the first thing I want to unpack for just a moment here is this idea of the initial sense of receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, we know in John 3, in John 3, 5, it tells us this, that unless you are born of the Spirit and water, or the water and Spirit, you're not born again. And so when you say yes to Jesus... And maybe you're here this morning at the end of this service, we often give opportunities for people to, to receive Christ, to become a follower of Jesus, to become a Christian, and, and then follow that up with water baptism, but um, not at the same time. Although I was in one Baptist church where they did that. Like, if you said yes to Jesus and they did the come forward thing, like, they baptized right then and there. But I didn't bring a change of clothes. They had towels, you know. It was, it was wild. I was like, wow, these Baptists do get a little crazy now and then, so... Like in the Pentecostal church, we would have scheduled this and had it, you know, we don't schedule revival, but we schedule baptisms. I guess Baptists in that tradition didn't schedule baptisms, but they scheduled revivals. I don't know. Um, still working that out. But there's this idea of initial reception of the Spirit. When you say yes to Christ, when you respond to a church call to follow Jesus and pledge your allegiance to him above all other powers in the world and to, and to, and to respond to that message that you've heard that the Spirit's been working on you from the outside, the Spirit has been convicting you and drawing you. Jesus tells us in John, the gospel writer relays this, that the Spirit is working out in creation and, and in the church and through believers that may be in your life praying for you and that's why you're here and why you're ready to respond uh, you've also wrestled with that and you're ready to make it your own. 
But the Spirit has already been at work outside of you in that, through people, through circumstances, through creation. Maybe while you were hugging the tree, Jesus showed up in the bark. I don't know. But uh, you're ready. Spirit's at work out there. But when you say yes to Christ, a relationship starts. And Jesus, of course, is physically in heaven, so it's not Jesus in the sense of a physical little guy living inside of you, walking around, you know, in your arteries. No, no, no. It's the Spirit of Christ, who is also called the Holy Spirit, who now comes and dwells in you. And you cannot be a Christian unless the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And that happens when you receive Christ. Everyone in this room who is a follower of Jesus, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and you are baptized into the body by the Holy Spirit. And in that sense, every one of us has the Holy Spirit. So don't ever let any, like, sort of the off side of charismatic say, oh, no, you don't have the Holy Spirit unless you, you know, walk backwards three times and do the Michael Jackson snake crawl across the room and then say something in, in uh, Yiddish. No, 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 no. You receive the Spirit at conversion. I just want to be absolutely clear about that. There's no way you can be a believer without the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within you. The, the Scriptures speak of this. Jesus says in John chapter 3 about being born of spirit and water and that we are indwelt by the spirit when we receive Jesus Christ. We are baptized into one spirit, one body, one Lord, one faith. When you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, to be absolutely clear. And most world Pentecostals, by the way, teach it exactly like that. There's a few out there that don't, uh, and there's the ones that are, I would say, outside of orthodoxy, but uh, that is important. But then there's this idea of the ongoing filling and empowering of the Holy Spirit. And you know that most Baptists, most evangelicals, or many anyway, before the Pentecostal movement actually taught this doctrine consistently and regularly about the ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit and sort of this Spirit-filled life. I was delighted, and I posted this on the interwebs this week to to read, um, oh, I forgot his name. Was it Matt Chandler, maybe? Uh, Sort of a Neo-Puritan Baptist preacher talking about needing to welcome the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the filling of the Spirit in their Neo-Puritan Baptist church, talking about the gifts of the Spirit are for today and we need them. And he had bad experiences with charismatics uh, earlier in life, so he maybe overreacted and now he's correcting. Roger Olson, one of my favorite Baptist theologians, by the way, I enjoy reading Roger's stuff, um, he talks about this doctrine of subsequence. And, and subsequence is the idea that there's an empowering and ongoing relationship that we can choose to enter into or avoid with God's Spirit. See, so many of us see it as that initial salvation transaction, but the Holy Spirit doesn't want it to be reduced just to that initial salvation transaction. He doesn't just want to be a sort of like the salvation-only piece of the Holy Spirit. He wants the relationship that's ongoing. And Paul says to the Ephesians that we are to keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit, that it's not a one-time thing, but that we are to be in a welcoming posture to the Holy Spirit's presence and power in our life. It's interesting, I believe it was in Acts chapter 4. I have it in my notes, but now I'm completely off my notes. But Acts chapter 4, the early church had that initial encounter with the Holy Spirit, at least some of them did. And they had experienced persecution, and I think it was Peter and James had been released from prison and uh, had been beaten and all of that, and they come into the group, and the church is shaken. They're worried, right? And they begin to pray, God, give us boldness again. Give us, a, give us this boldness to preach this gospel in this hostile, now hostile environment. What are we going to do? And it, it's interesting because the author, Luke, says that how God answers that prayer for evangelization and boldness in the face of persecution is to shake the room again and fill them again with the Holy Spirit, an ongoing experience of empowerment of the Holy Spirit. 
So apparently it's not a once and done thing. There's this idea of we, we have to be in continual, yes, we're saved, yes, we're in the cross, but in terms of our living our Christian life, there is the spirit-filled life and there is the spirit-avoiding life. <laughs> and we have a, a choice because God won't force. The Holy Spirit can be grieved, as we will learn. The Holy Spirit can be ignored. We can choose ignorance regarding the Spirit and the Spirit's gifts. And so there's this thing that we choose to engage in that. You may be here this morning and you're saying, well, my Christian life feels dead. I feel like I'm not progressing anywhere in holiness. I'm struggling with the same sins in the same ways. As God works in your life and you grow, your struggle may remain, but you become more intelligent and more informed and more empowered to struggle with those sins in a different way. But if you're not growing in that, you're struggling in the same ways, failing in the same ways. Um, You say, I have no desire to share Jesus at all. Zero desire. I am horrified by the thing. I want to find a a nice progressive liberal theology that says I don't need to share Jesus. Jesus doesn't matter. Uh, I, I feel like all of that. I want to submit to you this morning humbly that perhaps you need to be open to a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit in your Christian experience. And if we want to see our church renewed, we need to, in our prayer, not simply pray for boldness and not simply pray for these other things, which which we need to do that, but also pray, Holy Spirit, would you fill me afresh? And until there's some sort of evidence, continue to wrestle with the Lord in that and you experience empowerment in some way. A.W. Tozer, again, great alliance guy, pastor of the previous century, said that no one in the scripture was ever filled with the Holy Spirit and didn't know it. There's always something that changes in our physicality, in our experience, in our emotive state when the Holy Spirit moves. The Spirit makes himself manifest to us. So this morning, I want to challenge you to welcome deeper encounters with the Holy Spirit. If you're not a believer, that initial encounter of being filled, and if you are a believer and you feel that I need a freshness from the Lord, that you would begin to push into this subsequent and ongoing experience of building that relationship, welcoming the Spirit in your daily life, in your prayer life, and certainly in the life of our church. Roger Olson said this uh, down at Truett Seminary, is where he teaches, I believe, He says, I don't care what term you land on, whether it's baptism of the Spirit, I grew up with that language, sort of dwelling and baptism, or filling of the Spirit, or a deeper, renewed encounter. Some of our more charismatic Calvinist friends would like to say, well, we've got it all. It's more about learning to tap into it again. Fine. Roger goes on and says, regeneration includes reception of the Holy Spirit dwelling in one's life, subsequent infilling of the Spirit is an experience of empowerment for living a holy life of service. And I would add staying power in the midst of persecution and entering into the life of God in the play of God's Spirit. But holy life of service, witness, and the experience of God in worship. He said, I don't picture either one in terms of the Spirit's comings and goings, but dwelling and infilling are metaphors. And so again, this language is not precise because we're talking about God. It's our attempt to to understand how God works. He goes on and says this, uh, quoting another guy, he said, a theologian, Clark Pennock, told me he underwent a charismatic experience that liberated him from, well, and hear this with a grain of salt, Calvinism and fundamentalism. They're not always the same, by the way, but for him it was. He said, as for speaking in tongues as evidence, if someone believes in that as an opinion, fine. I won't argue with them. I personally believe tongues is available to all, but it's not the only evidence. Uh, but that's, you know, we're Baptists here, but we need to, we need to at least say, hey, He says this, but you shouldn't base a doctrine on a pattern without clear biblical teaching. That is the case. And he talks about wrestling through that and how he left Pentecostalism, capital P, and was serving where he was. 
But he said this, I came to believe there is no once and for all infilling of the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is not a one-time experience, but a punctuated process. There is always more, and it is possible to lose the Spirit's infilling and be filled again. Not the indwelling baptism in your salvation. He's not talking about that, but he's talking about this empowering presence. It's possible to begin to walk simply in the flesh. Paul talks about this. Don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And then he identifies the character that the Spirit develops working and making us more like Jesus in Galatians 5. He says, walk according to the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. But if we're not walking according to the Spirit and we're simply uh, saying we had that transaction once and we're, we're in the body but nothing else, we we're giving up the riches that God has for us and the riches that He desires. Am I making sense this morning? Can somebody say yes or amen or something? Okay. A little deer of the headlights a little bit here today, some of you. It's okay. I love you. I hope you love me, at least at that superficial pastoral church level, right? We love you till the next business meeting. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. <laughs> uh, keep moving, shell. Roger said this, and, and I'm quoting him because he's Baptist theologian who was Pentecostal but left that, but it retained the sense of the work of the Holy Spirit. And given our context, I think it's important to, to talk about. He says, unfortunately, most Baptists and other non-Pentecostal Baptists have dropped spirit baptism because they associate it with that capital P Pentecostalism. And he says this, but subsequent, the doctrine of the ongoing, besides conversion filling or baptism of the Holy Spirit, predates the Pentecostal and charismatic movement and has always existed, at least on paper doctrinally, among non-Pentecostal groups. And he names like the Nazarenes and others. He said, and Baptists in the past, especially those touched by the Keswick movement in the UK. He goes on, he says, it's a problem that is, is that some of the experiences of people having this filling of the Holy Spirit are, are often accompanied by physical, and this is what scares Canadians and um, North Americans north of the Mason-Dixon line, um, uh, Americans north of that. He says, there, there, there are some things that these experiences of the infilling of the Spirit are often accompanied by physical, emotional reactions. Laughing, falling, shaking, shouting, jumping. And I was raised in context where I saw all of them, including getting hit with a prayer flag while I was praying at the altar and a tambourine. Yay. <laughs> but we need is two things. Number one is to realize that these are merely physical manifestations and do not have anything at all to do with the spirits and filling itself. It's, it's our reaction, right? And he uses this example. He said, it's no different from what happens to many sports fans when their team wins the championship, right? The team didn't force you to go crazy, tear off your shirt and paint letters on your chest and scream, you know, and drink maybe one too many beers. That was not the team spirit. That was your choice, your reaction, right? And you wouldn't confuse that, what you see in this dance. You stand up and scream or whatever. Sometimes when we begin to welcome the Holy Spirit, we begin to have a physical encounter that we, we are reacting to that. And that's okay. We just don't make that doctrine and you don't think to replicate that. But then you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater either about the Holy Spirit. He says, no different from what happens to many sports fans when their team wins the championship. And secondly, we emphasize the true signs of the Spirit and filling are the fruit of the Spirit and one or more gifts of the Spirit. There's fruit and there's gifts. Fruit talks about character, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all those things we read in Galatians 5. And then the gifts, which are God's gifts, and our character still in development regardless of the gifts. 
So these are things we need to be aware of. All right, those are two things, initial, subsequence. Now, with gifts of the Spirit, read, from, read with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you will have your newsletter insert with me. Would you read out loud with this, and then we will wrap with this last section here, number two and number three. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, would you read aloud with me, please? With regard to spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were often led astray by speechless idols, however you were led. So I want you to understand that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And now read chapter 14, verse 1, just on the top of the insert on the next page there, one little verse. Pursue love and be eager for the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, I've done teaching through these chapters verse by verse. I'm not going to do that this morning because you all get up and leave. But um, let's hit on these last ones and then we'll transition into the rest of this in Advent 1 as we talk about unpacking gifts. In terms of the Holy Spirit, we have a choice. And Paul is telling us here that there is an issue of ignorance, there is an issue of arrogance. Uh, We might also identify an issue of neglect regarding the work and person of the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to also welcome the gifts of the Spirit in our lives. There are natural talents that we have that we are born with and we can cultivate. There are acquired skills that we can acquire and often become good at if we work hard at those. And there are spiritual gifts. The first two we can see in nature, and those are gracious things given by the Holy Spirit to all. And then the spiritual gifts category are things that, unless we are filled with the Spirit and flowing in that, we will not operate in them. And some of those gifts will align with a natural talent or an acquired skill, and will take it to a whole new level in terms of sharing Jesus and boldness and effectiveness for the kingdom of God, not just the natural world in your life, but beyond But some of those spiritual gifts do not align with a natural talent at all, and you will not find them by taking a spiritual gifts inventory online. Things like prophetic words, receiving inspired speech into someone's life, things like the gift of tongues are not going to show up on an assessment of natural skill. Well, they might if it's a psychological analysis, but no, you know, it's not going to show up. I'll talk more about that gift too, but not this morning, uh, because I affirm that and and think it's something that people tend to be too closed off about. Um, So, He's talking about these gifts that we need to be open. Now, I've been in the evangelical world long enough to know that ignorance is indeed a problem, just like it was at the church at Corinth. Don't be ignorant about them. Don't be uninformed, to say it nicer. Don't be uninformed. Ignorant would be better, but anyway. Don't be ignorant about it. Well, we want to see the church grow, and I would love to be able to share Jesus, and um, I I would love to see great things happen here at Pilgrim Church But, on my terms, on my time, and in my way, shut it down, put a nail in the coffin, call it dead, it's done, it's done. Put a fork in it. I just mixed like three metaphors there, but whatever. Put a fork in it, steak, right? If we want God to move in the house, then we need to welcome God's presence. We need to lay down our pride. Say, well, what if I'm uncomfortable? It's going to make you uncomfortable if you've never pushed into the things of the Spirit before. Just like trying anything new, right? And some of us are more resistant and some of us are more open, but we are called to not be ignorant. I take that seriously. Paul's charge to the church of Corinth, don't be ignorant. 
And then he says in chapter 14 about spiritual gifts and about prophecy and tongues, and we can unpack that another day, but he says, eagerly desire, eagerly pursue. Not only are you supposed to get over the issue of ignorance and unless God moves in my way and my terms and all of this, now, you're, now he's pushing farther and he says, now eagerly pursue these things. And I confess, and again, identify fully with sort of that charismatic stream of Christianity that there are times when I have not eagerly pursued that. And we can talk more about the gifts and how it can line up with our personalities or not. But what I have learned as a pastor is that I have to surrender to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, fill me again. I need your power for this purpose, for this season, for what's going on. When I sense that I am trying to do things in my own strength or simply in my own uh, creativity or whatever gifts I have uh, naturally and acquired skills, but that spirit piece is missing, uh, I need to surrender. I need to lay down before the Lord and say, God, I'm trying to do too much in my own strength, but Lord, this is your church and I want it to grow in your way. And Lord, I want my neighbors to know you and I'm not motivated right now to share with the one neighbor on my left or my right because of whatever reason. I'm not literally saying that about neighbors because if they're here this morning, I apologize. Uh, but Lord, I need you to move in my heart. And we come in humility and we come in, in brokenness, sometimes out of joy too, but often in brokenness and say, Lord, I need, your, I need your spirit's presence to refresh and to refill me. Eagerly desire, do not be ignorant. Paul says to Timothy, we need to stir up the gift of God that was given to you and I prayed for you in laying on of hands and gifts aren't always given that way, but sometimes in prayer team, God will give a gift as you're seeking that and you ask. I'll pray with you for gifts. He reminds Timothy, Timothy, you need to stir up that gift again. You've let it go dormant. Something, you've leaked the spirit. <laughs> you, know? you need to be refilled. Your relationship with the living spirit of God has gone cold. It's, you need to stir it up. Fan into flame that gift. Paul says to the Ephesians, keep on being filled. Do not be drunk with wine, which is leads to debauchery, which some are doing, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he ties it into worship and the play of God and worship, which we'll have to get to next Sunday. But, and neglect. I don't know where you're at in that spectrum, ignorance, arrogance, or neglect, but I want you to move to pursuit. It's time to be open, church, to a new move of the Holy Spirit. We need God's power. There are tens of thousands of people that need to experience the love of Jesus and we need the Holy Spirit's guidance. Yes, we'll do all the stuff that we are supposed to do. We'll do our part, but our part is also to then yield and welcome him. And it doesn't have to look like the church down the street or the church. It, it, it would be unique to this body because every body is unique and God is doing a unique thing in each group to reach people and to disciple us and to mature us. And so we need to lean into that as a body as well. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, and we're going to send you out. Well, that was great. I got to page four, and I had page eight, so we're good, right? Uh, that was actually... You can tell I'm passionate about this, I hope. I can preach most of it from my memory um, in various ways, but this is important stuff. If I was not sustained by the Holy Spirit and it was just my wittiness or intellectual arguments or the whatever <clears throat> C.S. Lewis apologetics book or William Craig Lane or whoever, whoever, I don't think I'd still be a Christian, but it's the ongoing empowering of the Holy Spirit that keeps drawing me back to Jesus. And that's a beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit. You can test it because he, the Spirit always magnifies Jesus. Jesus is greater when the Holy Spirit's in operation. 
And so we want to, uh, I want to encourage you to be spirit-filled Baptists this morning. Amen. I was going to make a joke about charismatic Lutherans, but I decided the Holy Spirit said, don't do it, Shell. So, see, I listen sometimes. <laughs> you're all doing good. You're all, you know, loving each other. Yes, you're alive in the Spirit. This is a good church. We want to welcome you in, and, and maybe you're ready to say yes to Jesus. So I'll start with number two. Would everyone please bow your heads if you're willing to and close your eyes if you're willing to. It's more about not being distracted. But for the person here today who may be far from you, who needs to respond to your gracious, loving call and your wooing, whether they were hugging the mountain and saw you in a tree or hugging the tree and saw you in the mountain or whatever, or whether it was through a persistent relationship of a friend who deeply loves them and knows Jesus and wants, wants you to know him too, you can say yes. It's really simple. You can use your own words and just say, Lord Jesus, I, I do, I, I call you Lord. I, I name you as who I want to begin by faith to have a relationship with. I understand you're a spiritual being, and when I say this, you will come and dwell in me by your spirit. I want to be united with the God who is the ruler and the Lord over all of it and have that relationship. I turn from being my own God. I turn from the things that are making me less human, and I want to be flourishing in your love. And so come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come dwell in me. And, and even if it doesn't feel fully like you mean it, if you're choosing to make that decision and you believe, it tells us you will be saved and his spirit will dwell in you. And that's on him, not on you. You take that baby step today, you begin to be part of the family of God. And his spirit, his Holy Spirit will come inside. Now, that's the beginning of a relationship. Now, you know, just cultivating it and growing it. That's discipleship. That's getting involved in people that are also wrestling with it and the word. And then for everyone, if you've said yes to Jesus and you're indwelt and baptized by his spirit into one body, one faith, one Lord, one church, but you have not been open to the idea that you need to keep on being filled with the spirit, I want to challenge you today to pursue that relationship and then the gifts of the Spirit related to that. Jesus said, as Luke conveys in his gospel, if you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit if you ask him? They were gathered in upper room in one accord. And the Spirit fell on them. And Peter preaches the first Christian sermon after that experience because everyone thought they were drunk. <laughs> Crazy town. And he quotes from the prophet Joel and he said, this is that that Joel prophesied. That in the last days I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Young men We'll see visions, your old men will dream dreams, even on my maidservants. Every people I will pour out my spirit. So Holy Spirit, we come before you at Pilgrim Church and we say, come and fill us again, renew us again. Come into our hearts, whether they be dry, and breathe new life. As the prayer and 
The ancient church goes, come, come, Holy Spirit. Renew us, renew your wonders in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.